0: So we're picking up in Exodus 9 tonight, and I'm just going to set that right there, see if that works. Um, we left off, we're on the fifth plague, so we've been working through all the plagues of Egypt, and the last one that hit, remember, were the swarms of unnamed swarms of bugs that came in and, and took care of things, and we're going to pick up from there. The next plague that's coming up is the fifth one, so we're in the middle. Remember, they come in sets of three, and in each set of three, the Pharaoh gets warned, and then gets warning, and then an an unannounced plague. So um, this is the fifth one. So the Pharaoh had a chance to repent the first time. This time he's just going to get told. um, And we pick up in verse one. So then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Um, In other words, this next plague, as we go into tonight's teaching, the plagues that are coming up now are actually going to hurt Egypt. Everything up to this point, maybe the swarms started to consume some of their existing things, but when you start messing with the livestock, you are absolutely hurting the economy of the people. So at this point, Pharaoh's pride is now going to start to hurt the people around him. Before it just inconvenienced people, and now it hurts people. Um, And as we go through the night, I'm going to add another layer. Remember I said with the plagues, there's tons of ways to look at this. One way to look at it is to look at the character of Pharaoh as this is what happens when you hold to your sin throughout your life. That things just keep getting worse and worse and worse in different ways. Um, And in this kind of way... You see this Pharaoh is just clinging to his will and his pride, and in doing that, he's going to hurt, start hurting the people around him, and that happens when that that goes on. So, in other words, Moses is going in, saying, Pharaoh, if you keep this up, you're going to, it's going to start hurting things. Um, Of course, when they list off all those animals, they're also tackling a variety of Egyptian gods, which I'm not going to get into. But if you really want to, you can just look up Egyptian gods and add any animal to it, and there'll be an Egyptian god that goes with it. Um, and it's not hard when you are with animals. They seem to have a character and a personality to them. Even a cow, right, can look at you with its big brown cow eyes and lick you. And you think, ah, oh, there's a there's an energy to this cow. Um, the danger is when you start worshiping the created versus the creator. Um, and God's, again, going through this and doing this. So um, the animals, of course, you could go through each one of these Cattle are good for food, they're good for leather, they're good for all sorts of things. Horses are primarily your beast for war. They're not necessarily good for farming. When you have oxen on the farm, they're more powerful. Uh, donkeys and camels are good for trade, transportation, all of these kinds of things. The oxen is your power source. like our. And we don't really use oxen today because we have electricity and steam energy. And then sheep, they're cuddly. So you've got all these animals that get listed and they all have these, these are all valuable to the economy. Verse four, and the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die at of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So this is, would be an example of a counter miracle. The first miracle is you're going to have pestilence on your stuff, but then somehow to separate one group of cattle from another. And if you think about it, The promise here is nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So if you name all those animals and the thousands of cattle, sheep, oxen, none of them are going to die for a period of time. That's actually kind of a miracle too. Because usually there's just a, you're going to lose animals here and there. But to say there's a period of time where nothing happens to a, a whole half a million animals, that's pretty impressive. So the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. I like how he uses tomorrow. It's the same thing Pharaoh did. Only when God gives a tomorrow, it's grace. When Pharaoh does a a tomorrow, people suffer or continue to suffer through that period of time. So they have a chance. They have a whole night to avoid the catastrophe. That is, the timing is really important. Uh, That timing is a chance that Pharaoh's getting to repent because he could let them go before tomorrow hits. He doesn't. Verse 6, So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock... So you think dead frogs in stacks and piles would be bad? Imagine what would happen if all your livestock died the same day. Like that would be... You'd need to operate a bobcat to move the cattle, and it wouldn't be fun. So, But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. Verse 7, that then Pharaoh sent, he's actually going to check because Moses promised it, which now... Pharaoh's checking out what Moses says, and it turns out it's true. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. At this point, I think Pharaoh knows it's between him and God, right? Because how do you deny this? And he's sending people out to check on it. They come back and say, yeah, none of theirs died. And now Pharaoh's like, fine, we're in it. And he's in combat with God. So guess what happens to the price of meat in Egypt at this point, right? goes right price of food just went way up guess who benefits from the price of food going way way up all the israelites do they become the center of the economy in a day and it makes me feel good about all my debt from getting a doctorate like lord really wanted to take care of that debt he could do it in a day right hey you got a great a great uh aunt uncle that just passed away and you're part of the inheritance and bam, it's taken care of. So it could happen. Also, I thought, um, if there's a huge rush on buying meat, this might be the first time in history they had a bull market. Okay. Uh, this also targets one of the most powerful and popular gods of Egypt. Uh, the last one I mentioned that was a really big, like the people would spend time worshiping it was, that, was the frog goddess, right? With the little class that the women would wear this one is more of the god of it's not the god of cows but it was the mother god that had a cow's head and she was called Hathor and she was the creative god or the god that would create things um, and I think when when you target the cows like this and and those bulls all die you're also taking care of this one of this these major gods that get worshiped by the the Egyptians um, of course worshiping a mother or cow is utterly ridiculous. Mm, Get it? (laughs) Okay. I got more. It was something in the water (laughs) this week. So... (laughs) Yes! Uh, On the same wavelength. Um, So uh, it's important here to note when they go after all these animals how much animals meant to the Egyptians. Animals were spirit- beasts and gods you didn't kill them especially certain kinds um, and when they worshipped them they had them the one the battle where the Persians beat them and I remember they, they painted cats or tied cats onto their shields different accounts that was the battle of Pelusium in 525 BC another part of that battle was the Persians sent herds of cow in front of them into war which made it so none of the Egyptian archers wanted to shoot because they didn't want to herd a cow So when God just kills them all in a night, you can imagine like the spiritual impact that would have had. And it's hard for us to imagine because we are in a Judeo-Christian culture still. We just don't elevate cows like that, but they did. And to have those cows just all die, it would have been like us waking up in the morning and every church in America had been burnt to the ground. It would destroy them. And it would be something that really hit right at the heart of their thing. And I'm not trying to like give us empathy for idol worship, but this was their culture. This was how they thought and how they lived, where their meaning, where their existence came from. And Hathor, the mother, mother goddess, the, mother, utter, the utter goddess of them, she was in charge of all new things in the home, all new creation, all new births, um, and the, the newness and the creation, the new crops coming up. She would have been in the middle of it, and to have your cows just dead, those spirits just gone it would have felt like Armageddon to the Egyptians. To the average Egyptian in the family, it would have just been horrible. So Pharaoh checks in, he confirms it, hardens his heart. So, verse 8 starts with so. You got to wonder where the so goes. So is, he has a hard heart, so the Lord does the next thing. And he said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace. It's important that it's from a furnace because Egypt has fire gods. So we're now with this, we've addressed water, air, all the animals. Now we're getting into fire, and we're hitting all the elements. And in doing this, we're not just dealing with the Egyptian pantheon. As we go through these things, if you think of it in terms of these elements, we're dealing with every polyg- polygamous idol-worshiping culture in the world throughout time. They all are based on earth, air, fire, water, animals, plants, and all those sorts of things. So these plagues really hit... Every major world religion that's based in idol worship. The only religions that aren't really based in this would be your monotheistic religions, right? So the ashes in the furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heavens, that's a whole other set of gods in the sight of Pharaoh. (laughs) Which is like, you know, it had to be, it's almost like putting it in Pharaoh's face or just walking up with ashes and throwing them into the air. But then something happens with those ashes and it will become find dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man. I don't even need to stop on that and explain how disgusting this would be, but it would be. And beasts throughout the land of Egypt. So not just the men, also the animals, which to the Egyptians would have been again, just going right after those things that they elevated. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven, and they caused boils to break out in the sores on man and beast. So this is plague 6. Pharaoh gets no warning. This one just happens. Towards the heaven, you're challenging the gods of air and sky, which one of those would have been Horus, which is a major Egyptian god, the sky god. And we're driving down to Red Wing today, and you can see the sky and the beautiful. It is not hard outside of worshiping God to look at a big sky and think there's so much power there. There's so much glory and majesty there. So Horus would have been that god for them of protection Healing um, and the sky, which is why the throwing it towards the heaven and then having not healing come down would have been the opposite of what they thought Horus did for them, right? If you wanted to get healthy, even through the 1800s, they would say get outside of the city and go off into the countryside and breathe fresh air, and that will heal you. And the Egyptians believed the same kind of thing because the cities got pretty nasty. So this idea of heaven's dust and sickness going together was likely a response to Horus or the other major God this was addressing was Imhotep, which was the God of healing and medicine. So if you're making sickness in the people, the God of healing is probably not exercising their power. We also took a trip out to, we've been doing the state parks all over the state. So we went to Lake Maria State Park. (laughs) (laughs) that explained it all it was it it was a almost a 10 minute drive in on a dirt road and then you or then you get there that wasn't Lake Maria that was the other one that was St. Croix right just that big dirt road park and you get there and you're like eh it's a lake you know and then you just turn around and you have this well we get home and you open the car doors and there was a fine dust that covered everything right up inside the car doors all throughout the car you're wiping it off yourself you've been right and we so when it says this fine dust or whatever would cover everything i was remember we were cleaning out the car because and, and then frankly 10 minute window grant gets home and goes wow dad way to keep your car clean because i'm telling him he should keep his truck clean and then he and i'm like i'm just getting the water ready to go clean the car um yeah, you got water I know. (laughs) But you got to clean that stuff out. These boils would have prevented people from working because if they're painful and they're bursting, you would not be able to work. So again, remember this all started when the Pharaoh was taking advantage of the Israelites, the Hebrews, as their workers. So now his people can't even work. It would be painful, terrifying. Like, where did this all come from? Um, And we're hitting that issue of fire. And also coming without warning, Uh, Like the last plague at the end of a set, the third plague was lice. It came without any warning. This one comes without warning too. Only this one, like plague number 10, is a direct attack on the people of Egypt. Verse 11. And the magicians... So I like how on these plagues we haven't seen the magicians for a couple plagues, but they are part of the the rhythm of this. Is what, What are the magicians saying in each of these situations? So there's almost like three groups. There's the pharaoh, there's the magicians, and there's the people of Egypt and they're not always on the same page. And in this case, the magicians are not on the same page with the Pharaoh. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. They're unclean. For the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. So this empties the palace. The Pharaoh used to have his comrades to convince him that he was doing the right thing. Now he's all by himself, um, standing alone with that old guy that bugs him when he takes his baths. And there's Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is actually outnumbered because he doesn't have his magicians with him. Um, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So, we're done with the second set of three plagues. Um, now, this time is the first time in verse 12 we see where the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But he's not, the Lord isn't doing anything to Pharaoh that Pharaoh hasn't already done himself. In Exodus 4.21, Exodus 7.3, um, after six other times, Exodus 7.13, 22, 8.15, 19, 8.32, and Exodus 9.7. In all these occasions, Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. God hasn't done anything to Pharaoh that isn't in totally agreement with what Pharaoh has. Um, so, and then they make the point, as the Lord has spoken. And other words, when God says stuff, the point is being made. When God says it's going to happen, it happens and that his things come through. But we got to do more plagues. The seventh plague is hail. And then the Lord said to Moses. Now, by the way, I could look up plagues and boils, but I just skip that one. Like cuz frogs was plenty I got into the grossometer. And we don't really know much about the plagues and boils, but we do know that hail fire from heaven doesn't happen. So, to me this gets into great special effects mentally cuz I have never seen what this next plague is all about. Um, and I don't know how it happened scientifically if it could. So it, it, it in itself is a miracle or a claim of a miracle. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, stand. I like the early in the morning piece too. I like that get up bright and early and let's do the work of the Lord in the morning. And I know that has nothing to do. That's not the point of the chapter, but I just like that when Moses has to go to work, it's early in the morning get up, start your thing, do your job. Then you got all afternoon to hang out and bask in the area that's not plagued um, and watch all the work happen. So he can play his computer games in the afternoon, but he works first. He gets up and does God's stuff in the morning Um, or Dunkin' Donuts runs, something like that. So the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Notice the request is the same request made at the very beginning. It's not, let my people go forevermore to cross the Red Sea and leave you forever. He's still asking, can they just go out and worship? Have a few days, have a weekend, a six-day work week, something like that. Um, So there's a pattern. God keeps trying. He keeps asking the same thing. But we're about to start a third set of plagues. So for this hail plague, Pharaoh gets a warning and he has a chance to not have it happen. For at this time, verse 14, I will send all my plagues to your very heart. The plagues are going to get serious now, Pharaoh. We're not toying around. I hit your animals, now I'm going to hit you. And on your servants and on your people, that you might know that there is none like me in all the earth. I think sin is like this. For people I know and that I've seen and been friends with for decades, the ones that live in their sin, it gets worse. It never gets better 'cause sin has to keep escalating to stay entertaining. And it always gets worse. It's the little innocent stuff that builds out into these horrible things. And then the next thing you know, Steph and I get a phone call and we're talking to somebody and saying, Well, how's your wife? Oh, we got divorced. Why'd you get divorced? Well, she cheated on me. And something like that. It's like, how did that happen? Like we used to do Bible study with you. We used to know you. Um, But the little things, those little sins build into big stuff. And with Pharaoh, now we're at that point where God's saying, Look, your sin's going to start hurting your people. This is going to start breaking up your family. This is going to start ruining you. Can you back away now? And Pharaoh doesn't. He just holds on to it like Gollum with the ring. He's willing to fall into the fire with that thing because it's the only thing that matters. Verse 15, Oh, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. God's making the point that I made last week. God could have just killed all the Egyptians and got the Israelites free. He didn't have to do all this. All of this was meant for Pharaoh and some of the Egyptians to actually come and serve God, because God's the God of them too. Um, And God's making that point to Pharaoh in verse 15, verse 16. But indeed, for this purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name may be declared to all the earth. It doesn't matter if we serve God or we don't serve God. We're either going to be examples of what God's love looks like or we're going to be examples of what living outside of God's will looks like. Either way, either lifestyle glorifies God. Um, So Pharaoh is going to be an extension of an image of what God's power looks like, which we get to read about and thousands of years worth of people have gotten to read about. So we can thank Pharaoh for that. Um, uh, anyways in this particular play God gives an extended explanation to Pharaoh so he's giving more information to Pharaoh in hopes that Pharaoh might repent even though God knows that he won't in the same way I think God gives us more and more reasons to follow him when we choose that path too and in the same way the parallel is Moses is getting more and more detailed instructions and he's following them to the letter and pretty soon he's going to get entire books of the Bible that he has to write down. So God, Moses is training Moses up in service. God is training Moses up in service. And God is trying to train Pharaoh through more and more warnings and explanations. All right. Oh, I did all that from memory. Okay. Verse 17. As you exalt yourselves against my people in that you will not let them go... And again, that's the problem, right? Pharaoh's exalting himself against the people of Israel, the Hebrews, by not letting them go. Pharaoh is saying he's more important. Behold, tomorrow at this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down. Nonsense. It doesn't hail in Egypt. But at this point, after the frogs, after the lice... They had to at least be thinking maybe it could hail in Egypt, but such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. In other words, God was there at the beginning of Egypt in the same way that he was there at the beginning of Abraham and, and the Hebrews. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Gather your livestock. So for me, this was a tough question because how many livestock are left? Because didn't we just kill a bunch of livestock? And maybe it was only the firstborn of the livestock that died before, but um, or maybe the livestock were were just you know tired and they couldn't work or something to that effect. But apparently, there's some livestock left. Maybe it's the llamas that weren't named before, right? So it was all the larger animals, and now we're dealing with the chickens and the poultry and other. Kinds of whatever. Get them into the barn because it's about to hail. It seems so simple. The solution to avoid this plague is just get inside. All you got to do is get inside. And they don't. So Moses is conveying a lengthy passage. He's getting very better at these longer descriptions. The Pharaohs, uh, the Egyptians do have a god of storms named Seth. A very common name. Just Seth, god of storms. Um, This time there's a required action that they have to take. So God is training the Israelites because before they could just see there's a difference between the Egyptians and Israelites, they get the plague, we don't. But this time the Israelites have to, the Hebrews have to do something to not get hit by this plague. So he's starting to slowly train the Hebrews to listen to his voice and do what he says. And I think that's just kind of a cool thought. Oh, I had another thought, just a today connection too. It's amazing how many consequences of sin are totally avoidable in our lives. And yet how many people we know that blame God for horrible things in their life that were totally avoidable, right? You know, oh, you have that disorder. You know, maybe that's because you're eating McDonald's every day. Or, oh, you have lung cancer and you've been smoking for 30 years. What did you? Why do you think that God's involved in that? You chose a lifestyle that's giving you problems. You have liver troubles. Maybe back off the alcohol. You know, and you have all these sorts of things where people get all upset about all the troubles in their life. Why am I so financially in debt? And it's like, well, get off eBay. You know, I, I can see your house is filled to the ceiling with crates of stuff. Like, stop buying things, and you might be better off financially. And you see these kinds of situations. And this plague for me feels like that. It's totally avoidable. Like, if I, even if I were an Egyptian that was still polytheistic, and I heard word that, like, get your cattle inside, I'd be like, all right, inside. Or the chickens or whatever's left, right? Let's move all the animals inside and do a little, like, why risk it? Because we just had frogs, plagues, locusts. It hasn't been good around here. They still got a brand new well in their backyard after the bloody river thing. So he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and livestock flee into the houses. Wait a sec. There's Egyptians that aren't getting the consequences of the plagues. God's converting people. And there are people that want to stick with the Hebrews on this. And they're allowed to. In other words, we Gentiles, we can avoid the consequences of sin in the same way today. And in these later plagues, I think it's really cool that there's Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh that are going to just start listening to Moses you know and it's it's such a level Pharaoh's losing his own people and he's losing the hearts of his people but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field if you honor the Lord he'll honor you and if you don't honor the Lord he won't then there's the things and this one for me was really convicting keep the sabbath right it's such an easy thing but look at our country today everything's open on the sabbath and when i was when i was a kid Businesses closed down on Sundays, right? We honored God as a country and we've forgotten that totally, right? The big box stores, they're all open. All the restaurants are open. Everybody's doing business on Sundays. It's commonplace. How do we stand apart? God says, keep the Sabbath holy. And just because our country's not doing that anymore, doesn't mean we can't do that anymore, right? So we make Alyssa and Zach serve us supper, and we, we, you know, and it's it's really easy. But amongst the servants of God, they're just going to obey God, and they're going to do it quietly on their own, even though the Pharaoh has a different policy in place. Why suffer when there's such clear instruction on how to live our life? Why not experience the blessing? So God says all of these things can happen. There's lots of guidance from God in the Word of God. If you could, you could do a whole thematic sermon on this what does God actually tell us to do in life? It's laced throughout the Bible. It's easier to just obey God and do those things, even if you're not a believer. It would be a healthier way to live and to do things. So um, with all those commandments, most of which we as humans will toy with or compromise on those things to our own detriment. And then we get upset with God when things go bad. So the disobedient Egyptians get hit with this, but the disobedient Israelites will also get hit by this. So now we're not separating Hebrew and Egyptian. We're separating obedient to God and not obedient to God. See the distinction on this? He who feared, fearing God's promises. uh, That idea of fearing God has always been one I've been interested in. And I've talked about that a little bit. You kind of fear and worship are kind of tied together a little bit. God has promised heaven. Awesome. He's also promised hell. And that's tough for us. And when we look at the Bible, there's, there's two outcomes. He's promised life, life everlasting to some, and he's promised death to other people. And that's really, it's easy for us to like the good side. It's harder for us to see the bad side. In this case, he's promised you can have your livestock survive tonight or you can have them die tonight. And those promises go hand in hand. What we need to know as believers is God will keep that promise either way and the choice of which one we're going to have. Do you want to get out of your house and put your animals in the barn, take care of your house or not? Um, so we can love the Lord or we cannot, And that gives us a choice, but God's going to keep his promise as to what he's going to do either way. I like that God gives people a choice to be in the family. They can just, tonight you can all just be Hebrews and save your livestock. And I think that's great. Verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field. Is it herb or herb? Is it just herb? Here it's herb. I think in Britain it's herb. Okay. Throughout the land of Egypt, and Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And Remember this rod was just his stick that he was a shepherd with. And the, then the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. Um, note the specific connection between heaven and ground. Uh, again, we're addressing um, the God of the sky was nut. Um, so when things go bad and hail starts to fall, that's where we first get the phrase, ah, nuts. Um Yeah, I need my sources. Uh, You know, sadly, I don't have my source on that one. Um, Darn. uh, When God sends thunder, hail, and fire, he's mixing fire with water. So notice the miracle there. Um, And given that it was just the 4th of July, I think it would have been an amazing light show. If your animals are safe and inside, and you're watching this outside, you are seeing the majesty and power and terrifying power of God in the skies across the landscape with no light pollution and streetlights to wreck it. Like this would have been gorgeous if you think about it, but it would have been gorgeous in its destructive power, like a tidal wave, right? I don't want to be under the tidal wave, but if I'm a safe safe, distance, that could be something to see. Um, And this would have been one of those things. Those people that listen to God, this is the glory of heaven coming down. Those people that didn't listen to God, this is the destruction of everything they've tried to build. And it's a horrible night for them. Um, I think the return of Christ will be a lot the same. For some people, it'll be the best day of their life. Some, some people will be the worst. So fire coming out of the sky is uncommon across the whole planet. Doesn't really happen. Uh, even meteor showers are kind of, they're not like hitting the whole land of Egypt. They'd hit an area. Um, but God has transformative power and he's showing his power. In this particular plague, he's showing power over fire, water, air, and earth all at the same time. So it's kind of the cumulative event. We're seeing these epic things all at the same time. God doesn't just have dominion over some of the elements. He has dominion over all of them. And if you think of it in terms of him taking on Egyptian gods, he's not just taking them on one at a time anymore. Now he's taking on the whole battle royale, all of you versus me now. And he's showing complete dominance over the Egyptian gods, complete and total. Notice what happens to the magicians next time we see them. And the Lord rained hail all over Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. They're making a point. It was all together. So very heavy was there that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. So if it's breaking trees... This is some nasty hail. Uh, Only in the land of Goshen, where the children were, there was no hail. So they got that little gap in the storm, which would have been really nice. So they could have sat outside in their lawn chairs and watched the fireworks. (laughs) And there would have been some, like Grant, in the audience going, Ha, Egyptians. You know, they'd have been watching going, They deserve this. They got it coming. Um, Chance of rain in Egypt at this time. Chance of hail. Virtually nothing. Egypt's an extremely arid, dry area. So when you say it's going to be a powerful hail, they're like, yeah, whatever. They've seen rain before, but not with this kind of destruction. It had to be terrible. It had to be horrifying. Verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron. I love that now it's just commonplace. Pharaoh's sending for them. They're not just showing up at his morning bath uninvited. And he said to them, "I have sinned this time." Oh, here we are. He's repenting, right? it's just happening it's a done deal the lord is righteous he's admitting it and my people are wick and i are wicked oh my goodness this is our this is he's saying all the right things entreat the lord entreat is an interesting word entreat is he's asking moses to intercede for him or to step in for him uh, to do it uh, almost like his priest so instead of being god now pharaoh's treating moses like a priest that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail enough for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. That's what we've been looking for. This should be the end of the story right here, but it's not. I have sinned at this time is a false confession. He has sinned. That's true. This time is false. He's been sinning his whole life. So he's mixing the truth in with the lies, and what that does is it doesn't just water down the confession, it makes it a false confession, because he's not speaking truth. That first confession, when people are honest with the Lord, should be true. And when you say, I've sinned this once, you're telling a lie, and it's not true. So it doesn't just lukewarm the confession, it erases the confession, it makes it not real. So he's sorry for the consequences of his sin, but not sorry for the sin itself. And kinda, it breaks my heart when I see people that do this. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And the only reason they're saying it is because they got caught. And you're thinking, yeah, whatever. And I, I got to say, and some of you have had me as a prof, so when a student does that, it just breaks your heart. It's not like you're mad as a professor. You know, like you plagiarized on the paper and they're, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's like, okay, so you'll never do it again? No, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it. leave the room and you're praying for that person and you just think, that man or woman, not only are they gonna keep doing it, they're already, they've done it in other classes where they didn't get caught and they're not going back and retracting those papers. They're not going to those profs saying, I, I feel guilty, I need to fix this. They're just sorry because they got caught this time. This time I've sinned and I'm really sorry for this one. It's like, you're not sorry for the sin, you're sorry I caught you. And I catch them all the time. I think I do. Maybe plagiarism is a lot more widespread than I think it is. We want the blessing of godly people, so we tell godly people what they want to hear. And when when I catch somebody plagiarizing, they just tell me what I want to hear so they can get out of it with the least consequences possible. And I think that's all Pharaoh's doing here. And we know that because he backs out on his word. Verse 29, so Moses said to him, I love that Moses just like, This is great instruction because Moses knows he's lying, because he knows God said, we're going to go to this last point where we're killing firstborns. As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll spread my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, that you might know that the earth is the Lord's, the heaven is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, Egypt is the Lord's. It all belongs to him, not to you, Pharaoh. Verse 30, but as for you and your servants... I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. So he's telling them, I know you're not there yet. Um, Exodus 4, if you want to kind of have the cross-reference, Exodus 4 verse 22 is why I'm saying Moses knew what the ending was because God told him back in Exodus 4. Verse 31, Now the flax and barley were struck, for the barley was at the head, was in the head, I'll explain that, and the flax was in bud but the wheat and the spelt were not struck for their late crops. The barley was in the head. So this is the part where I have fun. Let's find out about barley, right? When it says the barley was in the head, that means it's ready to harvest, right? And when it's in the head, you have kind of that primary place where you can pick it. But barley was kind of a crop that we use for everything else. It's not like we get up in the morning and say, can I have some steamed barley today? Um, Barley is primarily used for animal feed, or in the Egyptian world, they fed it to the slaves. So it was for the slaves and the animals. The other primary use of barley in Egypt was for beer. Egypt was one of the first beer brewers in the world, and they primarily made barley beers, and they would use it in soup. They'd use it as a pottage. So it's not a tasty grain. you got to do something to it or feed it to things that can't complain, like slaves and animals, right? Um, barley, therefore, is an Egyptian symbol, um, and it was used in Upper Egypt. So this is kind of a regional god uh, named Shala that was kind of the god of barley, and the symbol of this god was a barley kind of binding thing. Uh, And we still have some gods today where grains and crops are used to represent that god. So did the Greeks, so did the Romans. Uh, We see it in our buildings here in America today. You'll see a sheaf of wheat and that's symbolic of that agricultural product and produce that happens. And the Egyptians were no different. Uh, Barley was a religious symbol to them. So when that hailstorm hit the barley, it was targeting a religious symbol and it didn't hit the other two crops, which we'll get to in a sec. But first, flax. Flax, I know, is in the game of pit, and it's a worthless crop in the game of pit, right? It's anybody. How many of you, you've played pit, if you're okay, laughing. Okay, okay. Um, and there's a reason for that, too. You don't really eat flax, but it's a beautiful crop. It's gorgeous. Golden yellow crop, and then it will be um, in bud for only about three to four weeks a year. So you, there's a really short season when it's in bud, and it actually flowers for a day. So each little thing of flax will have multiple buds on it. And when they do flower, they only flower for a day. So there's a season of about three to four weeks when all those buds are out. And there'll be little flowers that pop up and and disappear almost as soon as they come in. And it's a beautiful crop. It's gorgeous. You use the fiber in flax to make clothing. And the Egyptians would have maybe even mixed it in with their paper. Um, And you would have used the flax seeds to make oil or even crackers. Right, so both barley and flax not particularly essential crops. So you can wear your old clothes for a year, right? The other thing is both barley and flax, because they're not that useful, would have been the straw that they would have used to make bricks. So targeting those two crops is oddly appropriate given what Pharaoh was doing to the Egyptians before, um, and it makes specific point that there's other crops coming in. Um, And I think that's really important because God's showing that there's a distinction here. God's also not throwing out the hopeless plagues yet. There's still hope. The Egyptians can still survive this. You might have to go without your beer and you might have to go without some brand new clothes this year, but the plagues haven't really destroyed your country yet, Pharaoh. They're just making things hard on you, right? We've killed some animals, but there's still hope. And what's going to happen is that the next plague is going to dash that hope and it's going to destroy egypt at a core level so the golden age of egypt is about to come crashing down and it's really this next plague that's going to do that verse 33 so moses went out from the city and pharaoh from pharaoh and spread out his hands to the lord and then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth and when pharaoh saw that the rain the hail and the thunder had ceased he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard and neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So he sinned more. There and here we are naming sin and the sin is the hardening of the heart. It's our resistance to God that is the core sin of humanity. And Pharaoh just does it. It, You can see the mightiest miracle in the world and miracles don't change the heart. They either affirm the heart or they harden the heart. And that's the thing where, how come I don't see miracles? Well, what good would it do? Either your heart's open to the Lord or it's not. Oddly enough, when people's hearts are open to the Lord, they seem to see more miracles in their life. And I think that's kind of beautiful. God shows himself more to the people who want to see him than the people who don't. So Pharaoh still thinks he knows better than God. I don't know. At this point, there's no rationality or reason to this. Pharaoh is now a guy that's not a person of his word, even in the secular world. If you're a ruler of people and you're not true to your word, your reputation is shot. So at this point, he is a very petty, small little man in the eyes of his own people. And his servants are with him, and then they're not with him, and they're not really tying themselves into him in any way. So to ignore God, that's the sin here. To ignore God's mercy, that God relents from these plagues, Man, that's a whole other sin for Pharaoh, right? That God did have mercy on you. Stealing dealing with one young person and they were worried about this kind of thing happening in their life. And I said, oh, well, let's pray about it. Which at Bethel is funny because I get to see how people react when I say that. Well, let's pray about it. And sometimes they're like, pray? And it's like, yeah, you're at a Christian college. What do you think? I'm some secular guy? No, let's pray about it. So we pray about it. And the next time I see her, she comes into my office and she's worried about a whole other thing. And so at some point I stop and I say, well, how did the first thing go that we prayed about last time? She goes, oh, that didn't even happen. Like the next morning I got a phone call and it didn't even occur. And I was like, wow. So here you are worried about this thing. Did you stop to praise the Lord for answering your prayer last week? And And it just struck her as like this totally novel idea. And it's like, why do you think God shows mercy if it's not to celebrate and worship God when he shows mercy? So maybe he's trying to give you another trial in your life so that maybe you'll learn to stop and praise him. So it's odd how humans do that all the time. So the heart of Pharaoh, verse 35, was hard. It was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Notice how Moses writes himself out of the way at this point. It's pretty much between God and Pharaoh. And it's a battle between God and Pharaoh. And I like how Moses just kind of removes himself from that thing. God and man are every dueling for control of our hearts. We think we're in control. Moses is just a messenger. Um, I think that's where the phrase don't shoot the messenger comes from because you get a lot of people of God that are like, I'm just telling you what is right there. Easy for you to see. Um, what does it take to change a human heart? We can change because God makes us promise and just say, I will like Moses Or we can face the biggest calamities in the world and say, I won't like Pharaoh. And we have those choices. We still have the same two choices. And one of the questions of Exodus is, am I more like Pharaoh or am I more like Moses? Am I willing to do the things I don't want to do for the sake of the Lord? Or am I going to keep doing the things I want to do in the face of constant trial, constant tribulation, constant stress, but I'm going to keep going down that path, darn it, because I love my counselor. Right? And I just have to keep driving down this path that's causing me stress, anxiety, and fear, and hate, and all these other negative things. And it's one of those questions that we keep having. Um, We're in a crisis in America right now because there are so many Americans going down their own path and they think they're following the Lord, but their path is not filled with any of the fruit of the Spirit, but they just keep driving down it. And I don't, it gives me hope because I meet people like your parents right? And this group right here, because if you're sitting here right now, it's because you want to hear the word of God. It's because at some level, this has to take precedence in our life. Uh, and and one of the messages from this particular passage is, it is totally possible for us as humans to see the most miraculous things in the world and still pick our own way. And it's not only is it not impossible, it's likely that we're going to do this because the people of Egypt just keep doing it. You'd think some of the people of Egypt would just say, I'm going to be a Hebrew. Like, I'm willing to give up my gods. They've lost the battle royal and I'm going to go serve the God that wins. Um, The problem is the world keeps telling us like the magicians keeps telling us that God's not that important in our life and we can match those miracles and we can do this. So instead of dying to ourselves, we prop ourselves up because everything in the world says we have to do that. Here's the other message that I think is coming to your generation. Steph and I were just talking about this. There's people in your generation where people in my generation are saying, to be a grown up, you have to get your own apartment, you have to strike out on your own, do your own thing, and get further into debt and stop and create those and buy all these things like a nicer car. And all you're doing is burying yourself in debt. And there's no wisdom in that at all. And there's nothing biblical about that, right? And yeah, those are all good things to do when you're ready to do them. But when you're not ready to do them, there is no harm in like staying with your family and living with your parents and whatnot, especially if you're in a godly home. There's nothing biblical about striking out and being independent, but that's everything the world tells us to do, even though it's totally slowing down our path to financial freedom and those sorts of things. And I know this isn't a whole financial message, but we are losing all the animals in Egypt, right? Their finances are going to pot. And this hailstorm just destroyed all their high-profit crops. The beer crop, the barley crop, that's like destroying the vineyards, right? The wine crop. These are the expensive crops that just got destroyed that lead to high-profit items. Um, and the next round, we're going to hit their other crops. So, um, And I already made my reference to, um, to Smeagol holding onto his ring in the fires of Mount Doom. And I honestly feel like that's what Pharaoh is doing right now. He's just clinging to his pride because it's the only thing he's got even though the world around him is literally falling apart um, and fire is falling from the sky and he still thinks he's the boss and you think wow it just keeps going now the Lord said to Moses we are at oh I think I can get through this in 15 minutes maybe am I being ambitious here maybe I want to go for it because I want to be done with this Okay, I'll go fast. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I've done in Egypt. In other words, all of this is so that we can read about it. And God's just telling Moses that. This is for your kids to read about. I'm about to do a thing that will blow your mind. My signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. In other words, we're still doing our introductions to God here. And I think that's really cool. Here we are in Exodus and God is still saying, let me do my introductions. This is who I am. God and Pharaoh are now in concert with each other. They both agree that his heart should be hard and he's going to get what he wants. Verse three, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and they said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's an addition to the next part, which we've seen a lot, let my people go that they may serve me. So we have this humble yourself request. Now Moses is making it perfectly clear. Pharaoh, this is about your pride. And if you can't humble yourself, it's going to get really nasty here. Verse four, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up out of the field. And they shall fill your houses. Those trees include olive trees, fig trees. Like we're talking about food and crops and protein and nutrition. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither you nor your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day they were on the earth to this day. You've never seen what's about to happen, Pharaoh. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. I kinda like that verse. At this point, we're not talking anymore. It's drop the mic, is exactly what that is. <laughs> That's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. Here you go. If it says which remains to you, so the locusts are gonna eat that which remains. Remember we just got done reading in, in chapter nine thirty-one. The flax and the barley was struck, the barley was in the head, the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck. Remember, they made a point of things that weren't hit. They weren't big enough yet to really get affected. Wheat, not much to talk about, same as today. Massive staple crop. The primary use of wheat is to make bread. It's to feed the people with the good stuff. Um, it's too late of a crop for wheat sheaves to be used for brick, brick making, right? Because it comes way too late in that season. Rainy season's going to come, and you don't make bricks when the rain's coming down right? So it's a very late crop. You could still save it up, keep it dry, but it's primarily not your brick stuff. Spelt is the other grain. Has anyone in this room heard of spelt? Neither did I. So you have to find out what in the heck is spelt. And here's the cool thing about spelt. Up until 1850, there's old German record books. 94% of all the crops in Germany in 1850 was spelt spelt was grown all over the world as a majority crop. Only 5% of their crop take was wheat. Think of that flip today, even in Minnesota, like what percentage is corn, soybeans, wheat, and that sort of thing. But spelt, all the way up to the Industrial Revolution, was the most popular crop on the planet. What destroyed spelt? First of all, it has a name that doesn't sound like food, but you can't harvest spelt in one process wheat, you just harvest it shake it out and you've got a usable kernel so when you try to make machines to harvest things the combine could do wheat and corn but it couldn't do spelt so spelt production went to next to nothing with the Industrial Revolution now we have some tools and we've made better equipment where we can do spelt so it's starting to make a slow comeback but here's what spelt is it makes bread but it makes a protein bread not just carbohydrate bread makes a bread that tastes kind of nutty. It's thicker. It doesn't have crumbs because it's got more um, protein in it. I guess it's more kind of more meaty bread, but it's really easy for digestion and it dissolves almost instantly in water. Super good for the body. And here's the best part about spelt. It's at the top of the grain thing for the human body because it makes all nine amino acids that we can't make ourselves. So spelt with the whole health food revolution thing is starting to pop up all over the place as the most, it's the best kind of grain that you can feed the human body. And it counteracts the ill effects of other grains. So if you eat too much wheat and it messes with your stomach, the counteraction to that is to eat spelt and it will balance out the destructive stuff that other products have on your body. Kind of cool, huh? And it's delicious. We don't grow it anymore. So that's your short lesson on spelt. Egyptians obviously had gods of agriculture. You've probably heard of both of them, Isis and Set, right? So we're getting really high up. There's only one major god left in the Egyptian pantheon, which is Ra, but we'll deal with him in the next one, which I got to get to quickly. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, oh, by the way, um, the god of Set being the green god, I think that's where we got the phrase setting the table. But I can't verify that with a source either. It's just me. (laughs) Did I do my studies at a weird time of day this week? Okay. (laughs) I didn't stick to my normal rhythm or something. Then the Pharaoh's servants, verse 7, said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they might serve the Lord their God. Do you not know do you not net yet know that egypt is destroyed in other words pharaoh don't you get it we're if these locusts show up by the way he's getting a warning on this one if these locusts show up we're done as a country like his own advisors are saying we couldn't handle this one and survive like you're gonna see mass death of our people if they don't have food if they don't get their spelt and their wheat That destroys humans, not animals, not barley crops, not new clothing. This really hits us in a hard way. Um, Even up to the Roman Empire, the grain shipments from Egypt, when they stopped flowing, that's when Rome had its famines and had riots in the streets. So the grain crop of Egypt is what's made them universally successful as a country throughout their entire history. They grow food and that's why Egypt's important and it always has been the case. So Pharaoh's servants were hardening their hearts in 934. Now their hearts aren't so hard. Now their hearts are like, you need to save your people here, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh tries to negotiate again with a super bad idea. So back in 825, he said, you can serve your gods, but do it here in town. And Pharaoh, and Moses said, no, we're going to leave because we don't. you're going to get stoned if we kill animals in front of your people. Well, the animals are now dead. And now he's going to make another negotiation with them. And make the mistake of thinking you can negotiate with God, which is one more thing that humans do in the face of that battle of wills between us and God. Verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. That's nice. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go. I like how he says, we will go. It's not like, we're not waiting for your, it's just a matter of time here, but we're going to go with our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds. We will go for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then he, Pharaoh said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Be, beware for evil is ahead of you. So Pharaoh's still trying to be a prophet here. Not so. Go now who are who are men And serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Moses doesn't even get to respond. Pharaoh just gives his order and kicks them out. Um, So the end result is he's going to get the plague, because he's still trying to negotiate. Um, I like the phrase, I let. Pharaoh still thinks he's in control. Um, And he's giving partial permission. You can go outside the city and serve your God, but only the guys can go. And I think that's horrible, and that's not of God. And we see that a lot. Why do we do that as humans so much? Only the guys can be doing this and only the girls can do this. And I always bug stuff because there'll be a women's conference and they got a good speaker and I want to go. And it's like, do I need to dress up to go? Or like, (laughs) why do we do this? And I get that there needs to be some spaces where it's just guys and just girls. And I totally get that. But as humans, we do that way in a bigger scale. We do it to the point of exclusion. It's not godly. It's not what God wants. He meant men and women to be together and that was good at the beginning. So this whole thing that Pharaoh sets up, God wants everybody to be part of the celebration. He wants everybody to be part of it. And this halfway thing that the Pharaoh offers, verse 12, here come the locusts. That's God's answer. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts." And they that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all the hail and all that the hail is left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind On the land all day and all night. I looked up east wind and whatever, and there's really no, I couldn't find anything like interesting or special about it. I guess the wind just came from the east. Um, And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land. They got up in your grill, went up over all the land. I just like the way they say that. Of Egypt and rested on the territory of Egypt, and they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they. That could mean, by the way, there's two ways to interpret that. No such locusts as they. And in other words, we haven't seen a locust attack like this before. Or it could be that they'd just never seen that particular locust before. Like this was a new kind of locust that just showed up. And nor shall there be after them. So again, this is part uh, historical and part prophetic. There shall never be locusts like this again. So is that a miracle is in like the flood, like these were a unique locust for this event and then God killed them off. Uh, if so, I'd be checking the fossil records for unique species of locusts that can only be found in Egypt. Um, and you know they're going to find that at some point. There'll be a magazine that says, we found a particular breed of locust in Egypt that's campion be, it's, it's been 12 million years old and we found it in Iraq and here it is. Verse 15, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened That's a lot of bugs. And they ate every herb of the field and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. When locusts hit, even when they're not of biblical proportions, they are disastrous. They eat everything. And this idea of everything green being gone is not uncommon in earth history. We've had locust attacks. They are the forebearers of massive starvation Anytime time they breed and do this kind of thing. But in this case, it was worse than those, um, but they're pretty bad even when they're not in Exodus. Verse 16, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. <laughs> in haste. See that little addition there? Get them quick. And he said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, and this time he doesn't say this time. He says, I've sinned in general. That's a better confession. Now therefore, please forgive my sin ah, only this once. And entreat the Lord your God, that he may take away from me this death only. So he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the ter- territory of Egypt. That is kind of another counter-miracle, to have that many locusts and now there's not one of them to be found. It's like God is clean on both sides, right? Right? total miracle with the input of locus total miracle with them coming out of there um it is unmistakably a god thing because even at, when the summer's over we can always find a dead fly in the windowsill or something but to say not one was found you know that's that's kind of a miracle but the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of israel go and by the way this tells us where you should do that arculat the uh the, the dig in the sediments of the Red Sea you should find a fairly unique bug down there in haste uh, now we've got national emergency mode Pharaoh's got all his people in the the uh, emergency room in that, in the, the uh, what do you call it what's the president's room okay. like? in the panic no that's where you go when you want to hide dead, that's kind of the same thing. okay uh, he admits his sin again he says he's sorry again two thoughts about our life I don't know how many times in the Lord, I've apologized to the Lord about something and then I keep doing it. And it reminds me of when I was a kid, my aunt came over to visit and my sister's room was a mess. And my sister goes, oh, I'm so sorry about the messy room. And my aunt just looks at her and the Dickers family, we are direct if nothing else. And she says, if you were sorry, it would be clean. And my sister was like offended and mad. About that, And I remember just growing up, because every time my sister would talk about this aunt, she'd be upset about that aunt she said to me. Blah, 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 and she'd be all upset about it. And I remember just being the younger brother thinking, but she was right. <laughs> if you really were sorry, there would be an action that goes with the sorrow. When we're sorry about things, we should change. Otherwise, we're just apologizing to assuage our own guilt. Um, if you're sorry about your sin, stop doing it. And the challenge is, the Bible tells us, we're powerless to stop doing it. The only way to really stop doing sin is to pray about it. And for the God to change you so that the desire to do it is gone. And when you start saying, Lord, I'm really sorry about my sin. I am helpless to change it. I need you to come into my life to change my heart. So I don't even want that anymore. That's when the sin starts to go away. And then you start praising and glorifying the Lord. That's not what's happening with Pharaoh here. This is another one of those kinds of things that humans do it all the time. We do that. We have, uh, (laughs) I won't name names, um, and because these go online and they're recorded, if for some reason she hears this story, it's got to be God, right? We have somebody at our church that's on the worship team chronically late for worship all the time. It's annoying to the point where the bassist just looks up and goes, you're late, Again, like it's disrespectful late. What else do you have going on on a Sunday morning when we're practicing? Like really, you had other things on your calendar? Set your alarm clock and get your butt here. And she doesn't live far, she lives far enough away, but close enough to where she's been late enough to where we know that we've started worship practice and she's still at home, right? She's not even in the car trying to get there. So it's not traffic or anything like that. I'm so sorry I'm late. If you were sorry... You'd stop being late. So you're really not sorry. You're just saying it. Anyway, same concept, same story. The ninth plague, and that's why I wanted to do a little longer tonight and get through these, because they go in sets. Now we have the ninth plague, darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, and there's going to be no warning on this one, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. What kind of darkness can you feel? Right? Like everything. It's almost like you're clicking on the word and looking it up. If you look up the word to be felt, it's the Hebrew word mashash. And it's actually the word for people that are groping in the dark as though you were in a cave of complete darkness. Hmm. Right? So it is a darkness which you have to... You can't... We would. We have lots of phrases for this. Like, you can't see the hand in, son, in front of your face. That's the phrase we have for it. This is the phrase they have for the same thing. It's the kind of darkness where you can't see anything and you have to kind of reach around to look around. Another way to interpret this is that it's the kind of darkness that's in your heart. Like, it's the kind of darkness that hits you. A complete kind of just depression and darkness of soul, right? Um, however, I... That's one way to read this, but the, frankly it's not in tune with all the other plagues, which have been physical plagues, something happened in the universe, um, and we're, and it, that idea of good and evil has been the whole narrative, so I don't know how much I put into that. I think it's the kind of darkness like in a cave, like it's total blank darkness that you can't see anything because there's no light, which would mean that even candles didn't work, so there's still a miraculous thing here, right? Well, actually total darkness on earth is also miraculous because the moon doesn't quite cover the sun. So there would have had to been something where there wasn't like an eclipse kind of thing. Or anyways, for groping darkness, you got to really erase light. And that's hard to do. So of course, there is one God of light and God of the sun in Egypt called Ra. And Ra is the most powerful of gods, second only to the Pharaoh himself, and then there's tons of other gods for all the other lights. There's gods of candles, gods of moon, gods of stars. So I printed off the whole list of Egyptian gods. And as we went through each of these plagues, I was just crossing them off as we got through them, which is where I got all the names. And then you get to this last plague and you realize, oh, there's like eight left and they all have to do with darkness, sun, moon, stars. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know what the next plague is going to be even before you read the Bible and go, here it is. Because this When you take this last plague out, it really checks off every single Egyptian god. It also checks off every single god in every pantheistic or polytheistic religion that the world's ever seen. So there's not much that hasn't been covered with these plagues. So the final plagues of these three trilogies is complete darkness. One way to look at the plagues, I said before, one layer to this, is how do the ungodly deal with God? And I think it's interesting that you start with thirst and discomfort, and the solution to that is God. You have a thirst, spiritual thirst, you should turn to God. But humans don't. They don't have time for it. The enemy distracts them from it. They can be guilty and alone. The solution is God. And and the world says, well, I'm too depressed to go after God. I feel bad right now. You can be broke and destitute. The solution is to turn to God. And what humans do is just get upset about how broke they are, right? The, the, you can have a human condition of feeling unlovable, untouchable, horrible, the solution is go build friendship with God. And what humans do is they wallow in it a bit more and say, I'm unlovable and try to get people to listen to them. You can be empty on the inside and starving. The solution's God. That's the God-shaped hole in your heart. And people choose self-destruction. Likewise with Pharaoh, the human condition can be pride. The solution to pride is humility and God. But instead, you can live in total darkness and we see this image throughout the Bible that they, were, they could not see for they were blind. And they're not talking about eyesight. They're talking about the blindness of pride. Pride blinds you to the realities of the world because you think your reality is more important than anybody else's. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. This is a supernatural darkness. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings, which means the children of Egypt couldn't even light a candle. Like they they just had to grope around in the dark. So suddenly existence itself doesn't feel right. This has to be a sickening feeling. And for three days, the first day you think the power's just out. The second day there's a run on the gas stations and the grocery stores. By day three, you're wondering, is our whole society collapsing? Like, is it all going to fall apart? Um, Is there going to be violence in the street? Are we going walking dead here pretty soon? Like, what's going on? And that had to be the feeling in Egypt, only there wasn't enough light to see what was happening. This has to be a feeling that their God, Ra, had utterly left them. There was no sunrise. I'm sure Pharaoh got up in the morning and prayed for the sun to rise, and it didn't happen on day one. The next day he probably went out and did it again. And so Pharaoh's feeling like he's lost his power. He's powerless, he's helpless, and he's empty. Jesus felt the same way on the cross when he said, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? The greatest punishment for God is to give us what we want and leave us. So when we reject God and God steps away, that is hell. That is the punishment. And Egypt got to experience that for a little bit. What if God stops making the light come up in the morning? And what does that feel like? Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and herds be kept back. Wow, he's still compromising. Let your, your little ones can also go with you. Oh, thanks, we can bring our kids too. Everything but your cattle, that means they'd have to come back because they're going to come back for their cattle. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Which Now those cattle are extremely valuable in this area, and they're going to kill them and give them to God? So Pharaoh's thinking, "Mm, I kind of want those cattle. You better leave them behind. And I'm thinking he's going to steal the cattle when they leave, and that's his game plan. I don't know. At this point, I don't have a lot of respect for Pharaoh. (laughs) Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Great phrase. I want that one on a T-shirt. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Nothing is going to be left behind. We must take some time for them to serve the Lord our God and even do not know Ah, Let me say that again. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we get there. We don't know what God's going to ask us for. So we're bringing everything with it. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Not a nickel. Not one iota. I won't give a red cent. We have lots of phrases for this nothing held back idea. And if we're getting introduced to God, and this is the last of the major, this is the last of the plagues because three, 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 that next one, I don't think is a plague. I think it's a punishment. Like it's a consequence for sin. Um, but this idea of like, this is the lesson, like you're all in and there's no compromise for God, which is why we named our website all in gospel. Right. I just love that idea of like, either you're all in or forget about it. Stop pretending. God doesn't negotiate and he doesn't compromise with the world. He's God. He doesn't have to, right? God wants everything in our heart, nothing held back. You got that little piece of sin in your life. You're keeping a hoof in your life. (laughs) I don't know how you phrase that. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, which is ironic given that they couldn't see. Right? There's darkness mm-hmm. in between them. See my face no more, for in that d- the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh's thinking the lights are coming back on. So Moses said, You've spoken well. I will never see your face again. <laughs> is that what you want God or God's messenger saying to you? There is a point where God just gives up on people and gives them what they want. And I. That, by the way, theologically is hard to take because we have a number of denominations in America. God's grace never ends. God never stops pursuing. Da-da-da-da. This is a case where Moses is representing God saying, you will not see my face again. I'm done with you. And the consequence that's about to come to Egypt is God bringing the consequence that he promised he would bring to them after multiple attempts to win their hearts. There is a point where God just gives people what they want. He's not going to fight the will he's, he's given us free will and he's not going to fight that forever. That's the great tragedy is that there is a point where God will judge the good from the evil. He will divide, he will divide the wheat from the chaff and he'll separate the good from the evil. That's a really hard concept to handle theologically. And I'm not a theologian, but I'm reading here that God's walking away from Pharaoh at this point. So God's shown himself, he's introduced himself, he's shown his power, he's shown up every god, demon, idol that Egypt had, and he's made a story for the children. Um, Even 400 years later in 1 Samuel 4.8, it says, woe to us who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. That's the Philistines saying that 400 years later the stories of what happens to the Egyptians is going to exist with the Philistine culture in 400 years, which is an amazing amount of like, this story will be told to children, both secular, ungodly people's children. And I mean, the whole area is going to know about what happened to the Egyptians. There's only one God left at this point, And that's Pharaoh himself, human pride incarnate, versus God and Pharaoh's own son, his firstborn son, would be human pride's future. And that's about to get snuffed out the next time we meet next week. Let's say a word of prayer. Dear Lord and King, we just thank you for your word. It is not easy to hear, Lord, that judgments do come. And Lord, it is easy to hear that you give us tons of chances. Help us not to be blind and in darkness. Help us to see the light because you are the light. Help us to be in the light because you are the light. Um, You created the light and it was good. You created order and it was good and clarity. And when we dig into these plagues, I can just feel the arrogance of Pharaoh in my own heart, Lord. And I can't judge Pharaoh because I got it in myself. I think I know better than you so many times. Forgive me. Help my apology, Lord, to not be half-hearted. Help me to hold nothing back. It's not that I've sinned this one time. It's that I sin all the time. And Lord, I have nothing to come before you with that holds up to that idea. I don't have any defense. I just need to be your child. And Lord, you tell me to put the livestock away, I'll put it away. You tell me to put the crap out of my house, I'll get the crap out of my house. I'll clean it up. Lord, I got sin in my life. I can't stop it. Help me get rid of it. Help me to be holy because you are holy. Help me to live the way you want me to live, Lord, because you have called me to it. And Lord, all the love that you show and all the mercy that you show and all the grace that you show to Pharaoh, Lord, I just pray you don't need to show that much to me. Help me to have a softer heart. Um, Soften my heart for me in the same way that you can do that, Lord. We know you can affect hearts. So take my heart and make it moldable, make it changeable. Lord, don't have me make excuses and compromises stop me from trying to negotiate with you on things. Let me just do your will because you asked me to do it. Help me to be more like Moses than like Pharaoh. When you say to do something, Lord, Moses struggled with that. We remember reading how much he didn't want to come and do this, but he did it. He took the steps. Lord, help me to just take those next steps. When you tell me to do something, help me to do it. When you tell me to speak, help me to speak with courage and boldness. Um, There's nothing that, that Pharaoh or this world can do that would stop your will from de- being done. So help me to just do that. Um, Lord, I don't have skills and talents um, and gifts, Lord, that you haven't given to me. So anything I have is a gift from you. Help me to just give it back to you. Help us to give our artistic talents back to you. Help us to give our minds and our, our intelligence back to you. Help us to give our, um, our, our, our joy for uh, sports and athleticism, just give them back to you, Lord. Help us to give everything we have and just give it back to you and to glorify you with those things. Help us to be bold with the people around us, Lord. We go to work every day and we work with folks uh, that are at various stages in their life in various places. Help us to look at them and love them and show compassion and care, um, to be graceful with everyone no matter where they're at, Lord. And and help us to just start praying for their hearts and where they're at. Help us to pray for our enemies um, and those that revile or hate our faith. Um, Lord, we just pray that the only thing they see is love. Um, We just pray that you help us to do that. Help us to be your messengers just like Moses was, to say what you need said and to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen.